Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. Ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. Yes, I am your host, Brandon Boylan, and I am here with my good friend. He is the Lord of Lore. What else can you say about him, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Zach Chrisman? Hey, everyone. And, Zach, I'm very excited because we have a return guest today, our actually our OG uh, interview that we had way back. I actually tried to listen to the audio of it today. I'm not going to lie, and it was rough. Um, we've we've it was a great interview, but man, we have grown a lot since then. And so, a lot of you probably have not heard her on the show before, and we are excited to bring her back, ladies and gentlemen. It is Miss Claudia Gray. Hi, everybody. How are you doing today? I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, it's It's been a good day. We got the mattress in, you know, and I ordered one from online and I didn't understand at first that like you have to cut the little box open, at which point it expands to like 300 <laughs> times its original size. And that was some Warner Brothers Looney Tunes comedy gold <laughs> there, I can tell you. Yeah, I have had that happen before. Um we just got a purple mattress, and when they brought it, I was like, how is a king-size mattress in there? And then it just like, slowly <laughs> expands. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, and neither my boyfriend and I were standing in a good place to be able to dodge quickly. It was just like, oh, dear God! You know? It's one of those ones you wish you catched on, uh, you know, caught on video. Oh, so be thankful you actually, weren't in a hallway. Yeah, I'm really, it was in the laundry room, actually, so we, we could very easily, like, you know, it was like, hello, dryer, we're having an up-close-and-personal moment here. <laughs> well, hopefully the uh, the sleep experience is worth it. In the I, I hope so, I definitely hope so. So we are going to um, delve into the High Republic a little bit today and um, ch- kind of just talk about uh, your experience in kind of creating and coming up with um, everything and just kind of looking at uh, the High Republic overall. We're not going to go into real deep spoilers or anything like that, but uh, we just kind of wanted to give kind of an eye into to the writer's room because I think pretty much everybody who listens to um, our shows has probably watched those videos where you know they've got a little bit of behind the scenes of you guys meeting and we've all just wanted to sit there and just listen. Um, so we'll get a little bit of that from you today. So I, w- I want to start with, uh, you know, just the fact that it- it's been a little while since uh, your last major Star Wars release. So how does it feel to be back at it? Uh, it feels great. I mean, it's it's been so weird releasing uh, this and also my last release was, um, you know, a non-Star Wars graphic novel and not being at conventions and, or having an event, you know, the usual things that we do for this stuff. So it's a little bit surreal, but, uh, but it's been awesome. The response has been really fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like this whole new experience on many levels, I imagine, because you're, you're starting this big project that's going to take years to complete and you're not you're also having to figure out this new way to market and and I know you guys have had a ton of interviews and stuff instead of them all being in one hub so 
Uh, I imagine you're probably sleeping pretty well lately. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, probably so. Um, Yeah, it's it's a lot. I mean, it's a good a lot. You don't want to be like, oh, it's so terrible. All these people want to talk about my book. You know, like that's ridiculous. But um, I admit that a couple of the interviews have kind of been running into each other a little bit in my head. I'm like, which one is this today? Is this one on video? Do I have to change out of pajamas? That's really my number one question about all the interviews is like, do I have to change out of pajamas? <laughs> well, the answer to that is no, because... Uh, That's a relief. Leave, let me tell you. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's a, why, why work from home if you can't just stay in your pajamas all day? So true. So kind of talk to us a little bit about your experience working on the High Republic compared to the other Star Wars projects you've done because your other ones have been, you know, more individual projects and this is kind of more like a group project. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very different in so many ways. Um, it's, you know, on the one hand, we get to make up all the canon and not all the canon, but a huge swath of canon we wouldn't normally get to wait, make up and... You know, on the one hand, you have all this freedom and you get to invent all these things and it's all really cool. But on the other hand, you have to make up all the canon. And I've always loved the fact that I could just be like, hey, Lucasfilm, I need a ship that would do such and such. What is that ship? And they send over like amazing art and blueprints like there it is. There's the ship. And I could just go great, you know. And uh, so it's it's more freedom, but it's also a whole lot more involved uh, in that case. Um, it is nice knowing that we know things that are happening in the High Republic and have that set out for ourselves because that isn't always the case when you're writing other Star Wars material. For instance, when I was writing Bloodline, it had to bounce off The Force Awakens and I hadn't seen The Force Awakens, nor could they tell me much of what was in The Force Awakens. They told me a couple things I had to know, but there were so many things I didn't. And, you know, I'd write a scene and they'd come back and be like, you can't do this and we can't tell you why, you know? And then, so I'd write it again. They'd be like, this is closer, but, you know, and you just sort of had to feel your way along to get to the right thing. Uh, whereas with this one, there's, there's none of that. I can just go, Hey, Cav, what's happening at X? And, you know, either Cav knows or is like, I haven't made it up yet. <laughs> so that is a relief. That's really cool. What, what was that experience like, like the first day at Lucasfilm, when, or at least when you guys were shooting that uh, promo, you know, you guys are all at that round table, which was so epic for me because I'm such a big fan of literally all of the writers um, in that room. What was that like collaborating with all of them for the first time or, you know, like the starting point? Yeah. Uh You know, to be honest, I honestly think that first day, you know, we were all very there to work and very encouraged and eager to get to know each other and dig in. But we were also fans going, we're at Skywalker Ridge, we're at Skywalker Ridge, we're at Skywalker Ridge. It was it was it was not my most dignified moment, possibly. But, uh, you know, you just want to go back in time and be like, hey, teenage you, good job. You got to Skywalker Ranch. Um and it legitimately is awesome there and so that was sort of my first impression we were all just 
blown away by the fact that we were actually there and we were going to be able to spend days on end doing nothing but talking Star Wars. And particularly the first time, it was just throwing out ideas. You know, it, it technically I, it was work, but it didn't feel like work. You just spitballed anything. You'd say anything. We'd sort of write it up on the board and be like, what would we do with that? How is that like Star Wars? How is that not like Star Wars? What are other stories that we love? What makes an epic feel epic? Uh, you know, what are our pet peeves? Things like that. And, um, you know, those first days we really just got to play. And that was incredibly enjoyable. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, I know like dinosaurs was one of the things that was thrown up on the on the board. Was there any other crazy idea that you um, that you had that you, you kind of wish you could have snuck in there or um, the, not any that I'm still not hoping to sneak in. There, okay, so. okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Uh, so foreshadowing yeah. of the future. Um, yeah, and I know yeah. a lot of people are like dinosaurs and Star Wars, and it's like, what is a dewback exactly? I'm not getting that. I think we do have them. I think they're canonically there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you're following much on Twitter, but people are standing a uh, a rock that you created. So um, I think I think it's going to be OK. Um, and, and I mean, the the I will just say the villain uh, that we find out about in Into the Dark, I won't give, say anything more than that, but is a really interesting kind of thing where you go, is that Star Wars? And when you think about it, you're like, yeah, it really, really is. So it's cool to see, um, you know, these things that are are really rooted in Star Wars, but are uh, you know a new spin on it coming from the collaboration of of essentially a bunch of fans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of us were were fans first. All of us, uh, and I think both Charles and I were in that very first generation of kids that got to go see Star Wars in its original release when we were little bitty and just, it just seized our imaginations forever. But it sounds like, uh, but it sounds like you guys have such an understanding, both of you as writers of the prequels and, um, and everything that's come all since, you know, Star Wars, the original Star Wars. And that's what's really great about both your writing is the fact that there's such a deep understanding for all the encompassing Star Wars out there. Yeah, I mean, it's the world building that really, I think, captures me the most. And I've said it before, I will say it again, I really feel like George Lucas is one of the two great world builders of the 20th century. The other was Tolkien. Because you didn't just get how this world worked. You knew immediately this place has history. You knew that. Even seeing a new... You knew this was a place that had layers and layers of change and evolution wrapped up into the inherent story beats. And because of that, I think... You know, if I had no other reasons to love the prequels or the sequels, and I do, but if I didn't, like, just getting to, you know, sink deeper into that world, that's temptation enough, I guess. Yeah, and one of the things that I really love about this story, again, not going into any spoilers, is the... It, it kind of seems like, especially between you and Charles' Light of the Jedi stories... It's showing a very human perspective of the Jedi. They they mm -hmm. are 
they're not so much like everybody has these specific problems um but they're all looked as as like basically superman jedi they're everybody thinks they're oh they think they're so great or they think they're they're space wizards but deep down there's so much going on in their heads and specifically with your book i really feel like i can i can feel the weight of each character's burdens that they're carrying well, thank you. It's it's kind of funny that you mentioned Superman because um, really some of how we wrote this came out of, um, like I said, I just did a graphic novel for DC and I went to a comics writing seminar and Grant Morrison was there and he was talking about Superman and he said he realized the immediate thing was Superman's body language should always be really relaxed, very open. There's no tension. Nothing can hurt him. There's no reason for him not to be sort of confident and at ease. And it's not the same thing with a Jedi. I mean, they are not always confident. They're not always at ease with this. But we realize, like, these Jedi are not, they don't have to prove themselves in ways we've always seen, I guess, in the movies and the movie eras. Uh, the prequels catch the Jedi at a point of crisis, at the beginning of a point of crisis, which, of course, turns to tragedy. And then in both the sequels and the original trilogy, you know, people are trying to resuscitate this order and bring it back. And all of this is very momentous and very fraught and perilous. Uh, whereas these are Jedi in an era where you know, they're... Their role is unquestioned, their strength is immense, and they don't have to be quite as, uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? It's very embarrassing to be a writer and not be able like, to find a Very, like, kind word. of dogmatic and... and dogmatic uh, is a thing that's not exactly what I'm saying, but dogmatic is definitely there. But, like, no Jedi feels like I have to represent the entire order. None yeah, of them yeah, I, feel that. They're able and, to be themselves as a Jedi. And that's what? why I love so much about the Wayseeker that you created. I think that was such a very interesting thing. Again, not going into spoilers. <laughs> but I think that there's like, so to use like a wrestling analogy, you have like your champion that like, you know, carries the company. And if you have people, you know, other wrestlers around him who are not as good, like that guy has more pressure on him, right? Whereas if you go back to, you know, the 90s when everybody was great, like it was everything was successful because everybody was at the top of their their game and when one person had an off day another person could take you know the spot or whatever and i think that's kind of like something we see with the jedi you know yeah, now the, is the high republic jedi have a deep bench yeah, yeah for sure a very deep bench um so with that in mind like was there pressure uh, in terms of having to foreshadow things that were going to come? Or was this like actually being 200 years? Was it far enough away where it was actually liberating to not be stuck in a time period that fans know really well? Yeah, we, we yeah, it, it gets to be its own thing. We don't have to be like, and look how we are setting up. Revenge of the Sith, you know. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say whether or not anything will ever set up some future events. That has to remain misty and unclear. But we don't have to, and we're able to concentrate. The main story is happening in that now, in that period. It is, you know, we're primarily concerned with these events. The you know, And that's sort of nice because, uh, especially sort of with the new canon, the book's have tended to sort of frame the 
movies and television properties. Uh, you know, it's like somebody else is sort of in the driver's seat of a lot of it, of the narrative. And here we get to be in that seat and really sort of center the events of the High Republic on themselves, if that makes sense. But what's great about the High Republic so far and what I'm really enjoying as a reader is it's such a fresh take on a, it's a completely different timeline. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, when the High Republic is announced, you know, people are like, oh, why is this not the Old Republic? Why didn't they just do the Old Republic? But the High Republic is very original in the world bu building on its own. And there's a lot of fascinating um things that happen in this world immediately that kind of hook you but also as far as flavor and tone it is very different than the old republic you know people see a lot of jedi swinging a lot of different colors of lightsabers and they think oh well why didn't they do that but it's it's literally to me it is so integral and it really does have such a superman vibe but i can tell um in my head i feel like it's going somewhere that's going to lead more into you know something darker as far as your comment about you know the the pressure of you know leading into prequels and stuff it is very much on its own but what i'm looking and i'm seeing as a reader i'm already seeing some of the cracks of that could eventually lead to the problems of the jedi or the republic and there's very subtle cracks but i i'm so fascinated by the tiny little things that I keep picking up on as a reader that might lead the Jedi down, you know, from point A to point B, which is what you get in Phantom Menace or the Republic or the outside world. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you're enjoying that in its own way. I've never really understood the like, but why isn't it the Old Republic? Like, I am a huge Knights of the Old Republic fan, like huge i've made it clear if they're ever writing old republic books if anybody else gets to write how mission and zalbar got together and partnered oh, up oh man like there's gonna be there's gonna be blood that, that was mine i swear to god that story. one is mine you know and i'm like dude we gotta have both we gotta have both Absolute, of those things and we gotta have other eras too because you know it's literally like ten thousand years of history uh you know i want i want them all yeah, and, and that's kind of, that's definitely how I feel, um, absolutely, and, you know, when everybody was um, kind of thinking what's next for Star Wars, everybody always goes to the Old Republic, and it's like, well, we need something new, and this is something very fresh and new, and I, I've, I've read, I've gotten into more High Republic, like, High Republic has heightened my um, sense of fandom since probably The Force Awakens, and I loved all, you know, the movies, um, but as far as like wanting to know every detail, I'm reading every comic, checking out every book, because all these stories, some of them might be a little smaller scale than others, but they're so fascinating just to live in that world that was very organically created. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel like we really get to center the Jedi Order here in a way that even the prequels couldn't exactly do. Um, you know, it's so much... It's so Jedi-centric. And as much as I love Knights of the Old Republic, the Jedi Order there is really different. It's radically different oh, yeah. than the one that we know. Uh, so I kind of like the idea that we're getting to be like, okay, here's, I think this is, you know, not, why am I talking about it? Like it's soda, like it's Jedi classic. It's, uh, I think this is sort of our chance to really, really dive deeply into a version of the Order that is the version of the order that has sort of 
you know, is dying in the prequels and that both Luke and then Ray are trying to get back to. Yeah. And like the, the lessons that we get from Luke and Ray very much connect with the Jedi that we're seeing in, you know, these stories so far. Um, the, in both the, the fact of having struggles with their identity and what a Jedi is supposed to be and things like that. Like that's one of the things that's really fascinating to me um, because I'm a big like proponent of like the fact that the, the, the order fell, a lot of that falls on just like really poor communication. Um, you know, Obi-Wan just being like, ah, your dreams will pass, you know, showing no concern. Yoda uh, yeah. Just- or the whole thing like, Oh, did somebody clone an entire army and drop it off? I guess we'll use it. Yeah, like not. What what could be the problem? I don't see any problems with this plan at all. There's no, there's <laughs> no thinking about like the their actions at all. Whereas the the Jedi that you guys are presenting are thinking about their actions and and even uh, you know almost falling to the dark side at times. You know, really struggling with the dark side and giving each other the grace. You know, when that kind of stuff happens, they don't. It's interesting because the the Jedi themselves within their order don't expect each other to be perfect. But I feel like when we move to the, you know, the prequels, you get this idea where that, you know, they are starting to feel like you should be perfect. And and that outside pressure or opinion of the galaxy has really started to weigh on them, which is is fascinating because, you know. If you don't in a, in a in an organization like the Jedi, if you don't have the support from your your fellows, you know it's going to crumble. Yeah. Whereas here, you know, I feel like you know, again, people don't have to stand as like we are this one big symbol, but also there's very much an understanding and an acceptance that different Jedi are going to approach being a Jedi in different ways, and. You know, the temple on Coruscant is the main temple and you have the Jedi Council, but there are a lot of other temples. Things aren't quite as centralized. Uh, you have way seekers. It's completely acceptable for somebody to say, you know, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to listen to the force of my own way for a while. I'll see you in two to 20 years. And everybody's like, yeah, of course, you don't cease to be a Jedi. You just become a different kind of Jedi. And clearly kind of by the time we get to the prequels, that sort of freedom of thought and that level of individuality has been lost. And see, that's what I love about the Wayseeker because what leads me to these cracks that I, I just call them cracks to lead to the prequels um, is like, could you imagine if Anakin would allow to have been a Wayseeker in the height of all of that going on? If, if Obi-Wan had said, you are really stressed out, you don't know where you're going with this, there's a lot of pressure on you, you need to go find your way. I feel like we'd be talking about a completely different thing. Like, where was that program offered? And, yeah. and, it's and just... also, I mean, Anakin would have been taught very differently. I mean, um, for one, I don't think there would have been the same resistance to training Anakin in the first place, which means for two, the job of training him wouldn't have been thrown on not an experienced master, but a guy who literally went from Padawan to Jedi that day. You know, Obi-Wan never got a chance to be even a knight on his own, much less a master, uh, you know, and so it would have been left just to this person. And the fact that Anakin was so different, those differences, I think, would have been much more embraced, whereas in the prequels, they're just barriers that he keeps running into, whereas back then, everyone was like, oh, well, that's how he does it. Okay. 
And I mean, the the idea too that like with there being different kinds of Jedi, you know, you are are supporting that individuality that's been lost in the prequels. And and you talking about the Wayseekers got me thinking about that conversation between Dooku and Obi Wan, where Dooku says, you know, Qui Gon would have joined me. I think if the Wayseeker was still a thing at that time, like I think maybe Dooku goes that way after the events of um, the the audio drama uh, Dooku Jedi Lost, you know, and then maybe Qui Gon realizes it and follows after him, and they start, you know, some other thing off on the side or whatever, you know. So yeah, I, th- I think Qui Gon and Dooku both genuinely could have been people who were Wayseekers for at least a while, you know, and in Dooku's case, that might have been you know, his salvation. Whereas I could see Qui-Gon being somebody who'd go off and do his own thing for a couple of years and then he'd be back and then he'd go. Uh, you know, Qui-Gon is sort of individually living that kind of free thinking that the rest of the order is not really in step with, you know, by the time of the Phantom Menace. He's still kind of going his own way, but, and they respect him. But it, it's clear that Qui-Gon keeps hitting barriers that just wouldn't have been there i know uh i know you you've got to get going here so i just one more uh question i, I want to kind of close out with and that is you know for hardcore fans like zach and myself and and us, us on the network we've been excited about this for a couple years now so um we're all in but for for the layperson, for the average star wars fan who's walking into a, a barnes and noble um what should they be excited about how will this overarching High Republic event uh, boost their fandom and and maybe even bring in new people as well? I guess I would say it's a place in its own way, it's a continuation of the stories that we already know and love, but it is more independently its own story, I think, than virtually anything else we've had out there, uh, except maybe, you know, Knights back in the day, um, it, it, you don't even have to have seen a Star Wars movie probably to pick up Light of the Jedi and understand what's happening. Or, you know, if you're just in the general fandom zone where, you know, yes, you've seen the movies because you've been alive on planet Earth during the last, you know, at some point during the last 40 years, um, you know, you don't have to have tons and tons of lore. We're, we're giving you this world and this worldview fresh. So this is a place where you can jump in or it's a place that it mingles with the larger story as much as you would like it to. You can see those connections or you can appreciate it just on its own, hopefully. That's the goal anyway. And I would say so far, you know, the execution has been there on that. We've got some uh, some names that will be familiar for people, um, you know, throughout some of the books, but you also don't need to know, you know, that name to necessarily enjoy that character or enjoy that point of view. So really excited for, for what's coming. And I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm always excited about the books um, because I'm uh, like books are my life, but this is just a whole nother level because um, I miss the, the shadows of the empire and new Jedi order and big events like that coming out. And so this is really cool for me to experience and I'm looking forward to it. So thank you so much for joining us today, Claudia. Um, you are always welcome back here anytime you want to talk about anything, but uh, if people want to follow you and keep up with um, your stuff, whether it's high Republic or otherwise, where can they find you? 
Well, my website badly needs updating, but it's still claudiagray.com. That's gray with an A. And that has links to my social media, most of which are now kept up more by my assistant. But it's still me on Instagram and Tumblr being a huge nerd, basically. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can find me there. And things like my Twitter, etc., are uh, kept up by my amazing assistant. And back, you know, when the day comes that there are appearances again, uh, those will always be updated there. Oh, and I just want to throw in if people would like an autographed copy of either Into the Dark or any of my books. Um, in New Orleans, my local indie, Octavia Books, you can always buy signed and personalized books of mine from them. Uh, in this era when we're still several months out from having any cons, I know that's of interest to some people. So Octavia Books in New Orleans, if you are interested in that. And we will for sure uh, link that in the show notes because we want to support uh, small businesses like that. So that's fantastic. And uh, yeah, guys, so stay tuned. We are going to come back in just a minute and share our views on Claudia Gray uh, over the years as she has added to the Star Wars canon and some of our favorite memories. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. Wait, so I'm going to be ushered out so that you can then talk about me? Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> We are the guardians of peace and justice. Beyond the stars is a near endless frontier. Our order was meant to shine its light in even the darkest corners of the galaxy. There, we found an evil that none of us had trained for that threatens all we know. For the survival of the Republic, the fate of all Jedi for control of the Force itself. I've had a mixed response to the slate of new canon Star Wars books. While nearly all of the ones that I've read have been enjoyable to one degree or another, some felt like interesting side stories and not much else. Maybe that's my fault for expecting the novels to tie into the films or vice versa. But when the expanded universe was relegated to legends and it was announced that everything moving forward would be canon, I thought it would all be connected too. But that's not what we're here to talk about, is it? The reason I mentioned my thoughts on the new canon books is that a notable exception to my indifference over those other books is all of the works of Claudia Gray. The first one that I read was Bloodline. I, I was looking for uh, more of Leia's backstory in relation to The Force Awakens, um, since she's one of my favorite characters. And Bloodline was this sharp, tight political thriller set against the backdrop of a killer premise. 
uh, what happens when the galaxy finds out that Princess Leia Organa of Alderaan, high-ranking leader of the Rebel Alliance, was the daughter of Emperor Palpatine's main henchman. I mean, one of the things that bothers me about Return of the Jedi is how we never see Leia get to process the news about her biological father. So when I realized that Bloodline was going to tackle that very thing, I was pretty excited. And the book did not disappoint. And Bloodline gave us the name Hutslayer, which is like the most metal band name ever for Leia. Having enjoyed Bloodline, I sought out another of Claudia's books, Lost Stars. I'd heard good things about it. It always seemed pretty high on most people's favorite canon book list, so I didn't waste any time checking it out. I ended up loving Lost Stars even more than Bloodline. I was starting to see a pattern in Claudia's work where she told the kind of stories you wouldn't ever see in a Star Wars movie, but that begged to be told after seeing the movie. For instance, how did people who served the Empire view the destruction of Alderaan? I mean, it's always a tricky thing telling a story from the Imperial point of view, because unless you're telling the story from Vader or Palpatine's perspective, it's easy to fall into the trap of making every Imperial officer super evil. Uh, just like with uh, Bloodline addressing Leia's feelings about her lineage, Lost Stars uh, allows us to see the galactic civil war through the eyes of someone other than legacy characters. We're able to track the timeline based on where the main characters, Thane and Sienna, are at any given point. And that helps to ground their story in the familiar framework of the original trilogy. There's a subgenre of movie, I don't know if you can call it a subgenre really, but I'd like to think it is, where a sequel will allow the story to go back and experience the same events as the first movie, but from a new perspective. Um, an example of this is the Poseidon Adventure. Uh, that's a movie about a cruise ship that capsizes while at sea. And it literally turns upside down. And the cast of characters has to make their way out of the ship to survive. But there's also a sequel called Beyond the Poseidon Adventure that tells the story of a group of salvagers who arrive at the shipwreck shortly after the events of the movie, of the first movie, and enter the ship to find its cargo, and then they get trapped. The second movie took the same premise and told it from a different perspective. Back to the Future does it too, pretty cleverly, by having Marty return a second time to 1955 with a different objective, trying to avoid his self from the previous movie. I don't know, I just like that kind of story. So that's what immediately came to mind with Lost Stars. That in Romeo and Juliet. Not only do Thane and Sienna come from families who hate one another, they eventually find themselves on opposite sides of the conflict. There's a scene in Lost Stars that really stood out to me. Uh, it involves Thane being in despair, and he's sort of collapsed on the floor in a hallway, and he's grieving over his trauma. And Mon Mothma sees him and takes a moment to uh, kneel beside him and comfort him. Uh, Claudia proves that she can write stories about brand new characters and make us in, uh, invest in them and care about them. But she also brings in legacy characters like Mon Mothma to ground the new with the familiar and show us a new way to look at someone we thought we already knew everything about. 
I haven't even mentioned Master and Apprentice or Princess of Alderaan or Light of the Jedi because there's only so much time in this segment. But the reason I've read all of those other books is because of the strength of the impression that Claudia's first two Star Wars books made on me. Well, I'm not sure if those were the first Star Wars books that she wrote, but they were the first new canon books that I read. And they set the standard to which all of the other Star Wars canon books would be judged. I always know what I'm going to get with a Claudia Gray novel. And it's uniquely and superbly Star Wars through and through. The Force? The Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. So I think it's safe to say that everyone has some kind of emotional connection with Claudia Gray. And everyone has a favorite Claudia Gray book, but it's always really hard to decide what it is because I don't care how amazing Lost Stars is. If you've read Bloodline, if you've read uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, whatever it is, it's going to be a pretty tight race. And I was sitting here trying to think what exactly it is that sets Claudia Gray apart from pretty much every other Star Wars author. And I think I finally figured it out. Because for some reason, I was reminded a few days ago of when I went to college and going into my freshman year, I went to a school where of the 160 kids that I graduated high school with, 14 of us went to the same college. But none of my really good best friends went with me. It was all acquaintances, all people who I knew pretty well, but no one who I would spend every single waking moment with and try to get every single class with had I gone with them. Um, It ended up being the best thing that could have happened. And people kept telling me going into that freshman year, that really is the best case scenario because you have that comfort zone and you have people you can rely on but not so much that you're not going to go have these other new experiences and you're going to be open to new people and new things. That's kind of what a Claudia Gray Star Wars book is. She has this way of bringing in just enough familiarity, whether it's characters, themes, whatever it is, there's just enough to make you feel really comfortable. But even when it's a heavy hitter who's the center of the book, like Princess Leia, she gives us so many new things that we don't feel tied to that one aspect that we know super well. We still want all this new material. We still want to get to know these new characters that she concocts and these new new planets and new groups and everything. And for me, a Claudia Gray Star Wars book really is that perfect blend of familiarity and comfort while still pushing you and daring you to try something new and be open to that. And I just, even going into High Republic, I cannot wait for her to continue this. And every single time there's a Claudia Gray book, I know I'm going to be all over it. I don't think I will ever be disappointed by it. Um, So really, is she my favorite? Look, Delilah Dawson's always going to be up there. But yeah, of course, Claudia Gray is the absolute goat 
of Centuries before the rise of the empire, prosperity, pioneering, and adventure marked the era of the High Republic. Anarchists of the Outer Rim, the Nile, are masked marauders made up of strikes, clouds, and storms, all led by dangerous tempest runners with the same mindset. You can't take it with you, but we can take it from you. An attack from the Nile is marked by ominous smoke and poisonous gases that serve to intimidate and then kill their prey. In the shadow of the great disaster, the Nile orchestrate a twisted plan and use their mysterious yet terrifying command of hyperspace to attack systems affected by the tragedy. As the Republic encroaches on their territory, the Nile use their sadistic tactics to stake their claim on the frontier. Hi, this is Adriana, and I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, Claudia Gray and, you know, the impact she has had um, specifically with my uh, journey into this, the medium of Star Wars books. Uh, so when I was younger, I didn't even really know that the Star Wars books existed. So I really did not read much of the, I didn't read the legends at all, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, as I got older and I discovered the books, they really didn't interest me. Um, which is surprising because I've always loved Star Wars and I've always loved reading. Uh, one of my punishments was having my books taken away. Um, if I was not listening or if I did bad or, um, or got bad grades. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's really funny. Um, but, uh, Claudia Gray's Lost Stars uh, definitely had a huge impact on me actually wanting to read more of the books. Um, it certainly wasn't the first Star Wars book I read, um, but the story, um, everything about it, um, I just love Lost Stars so much. And even after everything that I've read, even after all this new stuff that comes out, um, Lost Stars is still... Um, one of my favorite Star Wars books, like hands down, um, and that will never ever change. Um, and you know, uh, Master and Apprentice. Uh, shout out to Mark who's endured long celebration lines to get me that book. Um, and you know, I I wouldn't have asked him. <laughs> to do such such a thing if I hadn't if I had really known um what it meant but uh I'm glad he did because the cover is beautiful and everything about Master and Apprentice is just really um I don't know I I, I don't feel eloquent enough to talk about how much I love Master and Apprentice um just because I I <laughs> I don't use these kinds of words in my everyday language anymore. Um, that's what happens when you work with first graders, I guess. Um, yeah, so I, I'm going to be honest. I have not read the, her newest High Republic book yet, but I have no doubts that when um, I get to it and I open it up that it's going to be um, just another story that absolutely blows me away and absolutely... Um, Make, makes me want to read more. Uh, so thank you, Claudia Gray, for 
um, just writing the most beautiful, heart-wrenching stuff that makes me want to cry all the time. <laughs> um, it wouldn't be a Claudia Gray book if it didn't make me cry, right? Sentient plant-like creatures, the Dringir have a strong connection to the dark side of the Force, thriving off chaos and imbalance. The Dringir see all other forms of life as food, and they prefer their meat to be alive when it is eaten. For some time, these evil creatures lay dormant on an abandoned space station until they were unwittingly released by a group of Jedi that found themselves marooned there. As the beasts arise from their slumber, they return to their warlike ways and look to satisfy their voracious hunger. With the Jedi spending more time aboard the station, they begin to experience wicked visions and feel a sense of impending doom linked to the Dringir. The ancient and twisted Dringir represent a new threat to the noble Jedi and the galaxy at large. When people come up to me and they say, hey, I know you're a big Star Wars guy. I, I want to get more into Star Wars too. And I'm thinking about the books. Where should I start? And my answer always is Claudia Gray. Pick one of her books. Go for it. You will not be disappointed. I, I got my start in the new canon with Claudia Gray's books. Uh, first two books I listened to were Lost Stars and Bloodline. Um Lost Stars totally captivated me. I, you know, usually we always feel like Star Wars stories have to have a, a tie-in of big characters we know. And of course this did. But, you know, Thane and Sienna, I care about these characters. I still want to know what they're up to. And I, I Claudia, if you're listening to me, I'm really looking forward to the sequel of that book. And I'm, I'm waiting on it still. So maybe that'll be the next big project. Don't know. Um, but she gets characters. She gets to the core of them. And that's what makes her stories great. Any of her books, any of the characters you will feel for and identify with from the characters you've never met to ones you've known for a long time. Perfect example, Master and Apprentice. You would think you'd know Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon pretty well. And yet that book was a perfect example of how well she can dive into characters' psyches and make meaningful, impactful, beautiful stories. And so, I mean, I can go on and on. I love all of Claudia Gray's books. I mean, I, I again, I always say, go for her books first. Anytime there's a new Claudia Gray book out, I just go for it. She is the gold standard right now of what Star Wars books can be. And there's a lot of other incredible authors out there. I'm not saying they don't do good because trust me they do but i just don't think there's anyone on claudia gray's level right now in the star wars new canon so shoot if you've not listened to her books yet do it just do it um they're incredible and I, i'm waiting for that sequel to lost stars claudia if you're if you're listening to me so always incredible work thank you for making the star wars books an exciting universe to dive into we put together the really unique writer's room where we had diverse voices with very different opinions about Star Wars. We all love Star Wars, but we're all coming in from very different places. 
this has been a very free environment for everybody to just throw things out there. We've all done lots of storytelling, but this is unique and really special. The idea that this thing has been simmering for so long. Mm -hmm. It's the secret history of the galaxy. Yep, it goes way back to the beginning of Star Wars. We gave them essentially a, a blank slate. What would you like to tell? For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights are the guardians of peace. Hey guys, it's Zach Chrisman, host of Sith Talk on the Clashing Sabers podcast network. What to say about Claudia Gray? Well... In 2016, Star Wars had kind of really started with their canon novels, I think around 2014, 2015. And I had watched all of the movies, obviously, obsessed over them over a lifetime, and was starting to get into some of the comics, but with my job being so mentally strenuous during the day and, you know, a workout regimen... I never felt like I really wanted to read after work, like reading books. So I really didn't read any of the canon books at all. And the at the time, I was listening to the show called Collider Jedi Council, and they always talked about Claudia Gray. And I think around that time, they were starting to really mention the Star Wars audibles and how good they were. So I finally decided to give Audible a chance, and my first book was Claudia Gray's Star Wars Bloodline. And from the moment I started listening to that book, I was hooked. I, you know, the opening starts out with the monument being made for Bail Organa. And I just remember being so sucked in. And I finished that book within two to three work days. And to this day, I feel such nostalgia thinking about that time listening to my first Star Wars book, not only the project, the production of it all, but the writing itself, the character of Leia and the characters of Ransom Casterfo and all these other characters in that story sucked me in to the Star Wars novels. And so when I finished Bloodline, I was obviously like, really overwhelmed by how good it was that I decided to check out Lost Stars. And for those listening to um, any one of us from Clashing Sabers, Lost Stars is a big deal for everyone. And I've never felt like it was so ambitious going over the original trilogy with these characters and, and taking you through events that you already know in the mindset of these characters that you fall in love with and leads to such a dramatic ending to the story, I had felt, again, so overwhelmed by the depth, the beauty, the heart that was written with these characters that I never stopped uh, checking out. It made me want to check out every other Star Wars canon novel. And since then, since 2016, summer of 2016, and listening to Bloodline and Lost Stars, I have not stopped listening to every single Star Wars novel I can get my hands on. And it's all thanks to the beauty and the and the writing the, of what Claudia Gray had done with those two books. And when we, me and Sam went to Celebration, I believe it was 2019. Wow, that feels like a lifetime ago. Master and Apprentice was coming out, and it was talking about prophecy. And I never felt so understood as a fan um, getting to hear and, and listen to Qui-Gon's thoughts, listen to Obi-Wan's thoughts, 
her writing is next level when it comes to not just Star Wars, but the depth that these characters we get to listen to or read. We spend time with these characters, and there's such a beauty and grace to her writing. There's so much heart. There's so much um, circumstance that these characters have to go through. And it's unlike everything else I've ever read. Obviously, there's a lot of really great Star Wars books that I'm super interested in, and I, I, I love to this day, that really grab me. But Claudia's Gray, Claudia Gray's writing is truly next to none. And I can't, I can't thank her enough for the Star Wars memories that she's given me over the years in her books. And no matter how you're feeling about sequels, prequels, original trilogy, or what you want next, what shows you want, what kind of Jedi stuff do you want, or Mandalorian stuff you want, I can always look forward to when's the next Claudia Gray novel coming out? Because it truly is next level. And I will always have her to thank for starting this obsession in Star Wars novels and the years of enjoyment that I've had listening to these novels and spending time with these characters. It all starts with Bloodline and Lost Stars for me. So forever, I will thank Claudia Gray for getting me started on Star Wars novels in general. And if you have not read any Star Wars novels, start there because that is a true starting point and I will always thank her for giving me those stories and i can't wait to see what she has in store for the future the clashing sabers productions are the intellectual property of clashing sabers.net all sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff and we just use different informational and educational purposes bottom line we made it it's ours they made it it's theirs seems simple but if you're still confused feel free to email us at clashing sabers network at gmail.com we have no association with lucasfilm disney or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about but kathleen kennedy if you need anything let me know i work for cheap Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.